1: seems to be some, doing something new in my life, but he does it in consistent ways. So I had a message prepared tonight, as per frequent, and I got a text from Pastor Becky this afternoon. Pastor Leanne preached an amazing word to our team today, and then she ministered afterwards. And I felt in that session, oh, God, I'm prepared, but I'm willing to let you pivot You know, there's moments in life that are pivotal. Pivotal means important, but it also requires a pivot. If I'm unwilling to let God pivot, I won't have those pivotal moments. So Pastor Becky texted this afternoon and she said, hey, the heart for Wednesday night is impartation and encounter. And we want to get back to the heart of what Wednesdays are for. I don't want to throw you off, but we really want to have a moment of impartation and encounter that there should be teaching that leads to encounter. You good for that? And I'm like, well, God's already been talking to me about that. It's going to require a pivot, but I'm willing to let that be a pivotal moment. Amen. Amen. So the most important thing for a Christian to do really, really any human being to do is to trust God at his word. Like any relationship, trust is the most important thing in our relationship with God. We become Christian when we trust God at his word. What we've got to believe to be a Christian, we've got to trust that Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, came to earth and died for our sin, that he was resurrected on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit. He put an end to the curse of death and through him, I am saved. When I believe that in my heart and I confess that with my lips, the Bible says that I am saved. My salvation is secure. My eternity is secure. Is secure. But it doesn't say that I'm going to suddenly leap into an endlessly prolonged finale of delight here on earth. There's a promise that I receive His Holy Spirit. But there's a difference from receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that my life actually starts to change and bear good fruit. Amen? So at the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to make that confession, but the confession alone will get us into heaven, but it won't give us a fruitful, joyful life here on earth. Anyone want a life filled with purpose, joy, health, fruitfulness, and prosperity? Okay, we're going to get some impartation in that tonight through this message, amen? So come with me in your Bibles to Luke 1.38, If there was one verse in the Bible that would truly change your life for the better, if you trusted it with your whole heart, this would be it. Luke one thirty eight. the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. If you could trust that with your whole heart and live it out, that one verse would change your life on earth in an absolutely incredible way. Amen. Wow. But you've got to take that verse in context because there's verses that we can get and be like, oh, yes and amen. I want that promise. <laughs> so let's look at the whole context of that verse. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not, like be, do not be like a senseless horse or mule that requires a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him shout for joy. All those whose hearts are pure. God has principles that are in place. The entire world runs on God's principles. There are natural laws and there are spiritual laws. Yes. Many people will try to break the law, but Pastor Jurgen says this a lot, and I love it because it's a very easy concept to grasp. You can try to break God's laws, but all you will do, all you will succeed in doing is breaking yourself against the law. I could say, I want this bottle, when I drop it, to float up to the heavens. (laughs) I could will it with all my power. I could say, in Jesus' name, float up to the heavens. But there are natural laws in place that when I drop the bottle, it doesn't float up to the heavens. (laughs) If this bottle floated up to the heavens when I dropped it, so would we. And in about 20 minutes, we would be incinerated by the atmosphere. (laughs) God is not going to violate his laws that he has put in place for our protection and for our blessing. Just because we think that we would get along better if they weren't there. Does that make sense? We can try to break the law, but we'll just succeed in breaking ourselves against it. There was a verse that I read this week and I read it in this completely different way. I, lo- I have like loved the Beatles since I was a little kid. The very first record that I ever got was the Beatles Magical Mystery Tour when I was three years old. When I was a little kid in elementary school, I would take my allowance and I would buy Beatles records. I have hundreds of Beatles records. I have all of the American Beatles records, all of the European Beatles records, all of the Japanese Beatles records. I have a lot of freaking Beatles records. <laughs> And I've also read the Bible many times, but God will reveal things where it's like a word for now. It's like a rhema word, like I've read the word before and I'll see it in a whole different way. And I saw this verse in Luke 1.38 this way. There are times that God will call us to do something that is inconvenient, that doesn't make sense, that looks very scary on the outside, That if I bring it to somebody that's not hearing from the Holy Spirit, they will not amen what God has told me to do. They will advise strongly against it. And I'm not saying to not bring things to wise counsel, but make sure the wise counsel that you're bringing things to are actually hearing from God. Because there was an angel that appeared to a little teenage girl that told her that she was going to become pregnant by the Spirit of God for a Middle Eastern girl who was already engaged to a much older man in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, this would be a terrifying prospect. This wouldn't be something where she's like, yay, I bet everybody in my village is going to believe that God made me pregnant. When I show up to my little eighth grade math class My belly's sticking out. I bet people are going to be, oh, it must be the Lord. (laughs) But nevertheless, she trusted the angel. She trusted God's word that came to her. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I realized that those three words are like an answer to all of my life's problems. I probably learned the song Let It Be when I was like three or four years old. And Paul McCartney, when he wrote it, said, This is not a religious song. I had a vision of my mother in a dream that came to me when I was 24 years old. My mother died when I was 10. And she came to me and I was troubled. I had experienced superstardom and I was, I was being crushed by the weight. And she said, let it be. And he said, but it's not religious at all. It's just a convenient, you know, It's it's just a coincidence that my mother's name is also Mary. John Lennon hated the song. On the record, he put a song about a, prostitute from Liverpool right after it, just to kind of, wow. but later in life, Paul said the song is kind of religious, but you think of the words of that song, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comforts me, the, the testimony of the young virgin comforts me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. I may not see the path in front of me. God's will may not make sense to me, but all I've got to do is trust him at his word, knowing that he's actually going to give me the best life possible. If I don't try to circumvent his word, if I don't try to like fulfill his word in my own jacked-up way, if I if I trust him for the end from the beginning, he will give me the best life if I just say let it be. So my message tonight is called, let it be. A lot of us will say that we want his best, but we really just want him to amen our plan on how to get it. Let me give you an example. You can take a verse out of context, like be fruitful and multiply and say, well, it's God's will for me to have a family. But then marriage doesn't happen on your schedule. So maybe you make some concessions. Well, Maybe my spouse doesn't really need to be a Christian. I mean, like, we can be equally yoked in different ways, right? Gosh, you know, it's been a few months. He hasn't proposed yet. Feeling a little distant. I bet if we just slept together, then we would feel closer. And if we felt closer, gosh, that's going to lead to a proposal. That's going to get me what I want, right? Right? I used to think like that. I was very, very broken in the relationship department. Every single relationship that I had was a build-up to conquest and a downward spiral to it burning up in flames. Yeah. <laughs> I did not learn from my mistakes. You know, like Pastor Jurgen preached a great message called The Incorruptible Seed the other week and said that God has two methods. To communicate with us his plan for our lives. One is wisdom. It is his preferred method of communication and getting his best to us. But if we don't listen to wisdom, he has another great teacher. It's called pain. Pain is not a punishment. Pain is a gift from God to tell us to get back to wisdom. And if we ignore pain and we try to numb pain, we may take away the feeling of pain, but we are just going to keep destructing. You know why leprosy was so dangerous is because people in biblical times, there was uncontrolled leprosy and it would slowly eat away at nerve endings so people could no longer feel pain. And they could lay in their tent at night and rats could come and literally eat their hands off And they wake up with a bloody stump because they didn't experience pain. They just numbed out. Their body like killed off their nerves. It was a disease that was leading to death slowly. Numbing away your pain is not going to get you back to wisdom. I tried it. I I got into drug addiction alcoholism, sex addiction, all sorts of things to try to numb out pain. I wasn't willing to listen to wisdom. I thought Christians were small-minded bigots that believed in fairy tales. I was so far from trusting God at his word. I was like, that book was written 2,000 years ago. I believed the people on the internet that was like, oh, it's oral tradition. It's been changed over time. Let me tell you, that's not the case. The Bible is the most studied book in human history. The whole reason that we have universities is because the, the whole Ivy League, every single one of them, except for, I think, Brown, was set up as a theological seminary when they started. The reason that Cambridge and Oxford exist were to study the Bible. There are codexes that go back to the eyewitness Well, There is... There's, there's books that go back to the eyewitness period that still exist on, on scrolls from the time of Christ. And word for word, they are the same as the other codexed versions of the Bible. The thing doesn't change. If you want to read Plato, the earliest version of Plato's Republic that we have is 800 years old. Don't get me started on like how like... <laughs> but I had just believed a lot of hearsay, a lot of things that were wrong and I tried to do things myself and it failed. And like, you know, the church wasn't the first house on the block for me. It was the very last house on the block. I didn't come to Christ because I was looking to join the good people club. (laughs) I wasn't interested in all of that. I thought it was foolishness until everything that I had hoped in, everything that I had tried to do on my own strength failed. And then I was willing to like, maybe try out the last house on the block. And what I found is when I started to trust God at his word, I started to experience the blessings that he promised. When I met my wife, we did everything right. It was the first time in any relationship that I had been in that I did that. How many of you have had a, a, a tree ripened peach at the peak of like peach season in the middle of summer. A delicious, perfectly ripe peach that was ripened on a tree, not artificially ripened on its trip from Peru on a container ship. And how many of you, and whether it's a peach or some other, some other delicious sweet fruit, how many of you have also experienced a fruit that wasn't ripened in that way? That was plucked from the tree early and then artificially ripened It maybe appeared like the ripe peach that you experienced from the tree, but didn't taste anything like it. Yeah. It's another principle in life. You pluck something before it's time when it hasn't re- reached the ripeness, the fullness of potential that God has put in that thing that he intends for you. You will not experience the fullness of joy, of pleasure that God intended you to get out of that thing. God's laws weren't put in place for him. God's laws don't glorify him. We glorify God. When our light shines brightly, we glorify God. Our light shines brightly when it's not obstructed by a bunch of junk, which wasn't God's intention for our life. Does that make sense? Okay, there's a great story that illustrates this in, in the Bible. In, uh, in Matthew 10, 17, the, uh, the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus was setting out on a journey and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what should I do that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Do you know who I am? Why do you call me good? No one but God is good. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said to Jesus, teacher, man, I've kept those things from my youth. Jesus looked at him and showed him love and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. But the rich young ruler was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. There's really bad teaching about this scripture. I've heard people say that they were mad at him, that Jesus mocked him. The Bible says that he showed him love. In other translations, that it said that Jesus loved him. I don't think the Bible was, was, was lying. It says Jesus showed him love and he treated him with compassion. Jesus knew that this guy actually wanted to be a follower. Jesus didn't expose what he wasn't doing. He recognized all that he was doing and while still covering him, offered some correction. Anybody catch that Jesus only mentioned six out of the 10 commandments? Anybody know which ones he left out? They're split into two sections. So these commandments, the first four, deal with the vertical relationship, man with God and man with himself. The last six commandments, which were the ones that Jesus mentioned, are the horizontal commandments. They deal with the guy's relationship with the world. If we don't get the first four right, we are never going to get the last six right. The rich young ruler had put his self-effort on the throne. His self-effort was the God of his life. His possessions and his position were his idols. He put his I am, God's name, we're made in God's image. We have an I am, and God doesn't want us putting our I am to things that are worthless, things that are vain, things that are empty. And this guy was putting his I am to I'm a rich young ruler not I'm a child of God. He had reduced God's best for him to something that was below his standing in the world. And if you put self-effort on the throne of your life, there is no place for God to sit. And you will never enter the Sabbath of the heart because everything depends on you. And sure, you can fulfill the last six Commandments, if you try really hard, but they won't bring you life, they'll bring you death. The, the, Jesus said that it, the, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit brings life. Everything in God's kingdom is about his heart. And we can look and say, oh, there's all these rules I have to follow. Again, the rules are not for him, they are for you. He wants to bless you, but you have to trust him at his word. Yeah. We have to get to a place where we look at our lives and we're like we've we're off. And maybe there's maybe you haven't felt close to him. Maybe you haven't been hearing him. Maybe you've been praying but your praise, prayers have felt like they've gone unanswered. You can't use God's signet ring. You can't put his signature to something that's your will that violates his will. You can't command healing while you're still doing the thing that made you sick. Jesus didn't say that I came for the holy. I, what, he's not creating like a good person's club in church. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance. And all repentance means is to turn around. There's this great scripture in, uh, in John 12:25 that says, whoever loves his life shall destroy it and whoever hates his life in this world shall keep it for eternal life. For those of you who have heard me preach, you know I love words. And I thought, you know, I really wanna find out what the etymology of hate is because there's, there's usually like two words that come together that form a third word. And I looked up what the etymology of hate was in the English and it says it's from German, "hassen," which means to hate. And I'm like, thank you very much, dictionary.com. That was useless. <laughs> but when I looked it up in the Greek, it was different. The Greek word means to decrease in status or to make an enemy. But the Greek word, meseo, comes from the Hebrew word, sane, which in, and I don't know, I didn't know that Hebrew was a pictographic language. It was news to me, but I found this out yesterday while I was studying this word. And the pictograms for hate are aleph, which is father, headship, strength, power, Elohim, nun, which is God's seed, life, offspring, hair, air, perpetuation of, of life, and then shin, which is thorn, teeth, sharp, consume, destroy. In Hebrew, hate is not an emotion. It's a position in opposition to God. So what this, this scripture is saying that anyone who loves life As it is, anyone who has placed his will above God's will, anyone who looks at God's seed and says, I want to destroy that word because my word is more important than God's word comes at enmity with God. And when you recognize that, you realize you become an enemy of your life as you've been living it and you step into a life with God. But I can't be loving my life and my plans and at the same time accept God's will for my life. They're in opposition to each other. So there's a scripture in Romans 5.10 that says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's wrong teaching about God hating us. Hate in Hebrew is just a position. God doesn't choose his enemies. His enemies choose their own lives. And it's not like an emotional thing. Like I hate you. Like, it's not like how we say it in English. It's, it's, it's a position that we take. God doesn't choose to hate. God's plan has always been to love and to bless. But the way that we accept his love and accept his blessing is to say that we are going to accept his love and his blessing and we are going to dethrone our will in our lives and accept his love, to accept him at his word, that he wants our best for us. Does that make sense? You following me? I know it's deep, but it's also very practical. But you have to know him at his word. You can't just be like picking off like, oh man, I just love that Jeremiah 29 11. Read the rest of the book. (laughs) It's great in the beginning to have verses that inspire us. But when you get into God's word, and this has been my experience that I like, I did not read the Bible. I read books about the Bible that were just like in alignment with what I already believed. I didn't say God search me. I didn't say, Holy Spirit, guide me. I wanted information to, like, build up my world. Yeah. But what I found when I really surrendered my life to God, man, his world, like, his word, it, 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 it like, it corrects me yeah. constantly. Yeah. And I'm constantly coming to a place where I need to repent. The repentance isn't like a one and done thing. It's a lifestyle choice that when I find things are out of alignment, I'm like, I don't want them to be out of alignment anymore. I see what I've done. God, forgive me. I know that you've purposed more forgiveness for me at the foot of the cross than I could use up in an unlimited number of lifetimes because you paid an unlimited price for my limited amount of ability to fail. God, I'm going to trust you at it. I'm gonna come back to you. And I see that when I do that, Gosh, I'm hearing you again. I feel guided again. The things in my life are working again. It's amazing how it works, and it works every single time. You see people that have been blessed by God at this church, and we teach around the tithe all the time. For those of you who are new to church that are like, oh my gosh, they talk about money a whole lot. Who do you think pays for the running of the church? The church. There's not some random government fund that's like, we're just going to make it rain for the churches. You know, Malachi, it says, bring all your tithe into my storehouse so that there will be food in my house. When you get a revelation that you are God's son, that you are God's daughter, that his church, his, his building, the actual church itself is your home, that you're not an outsider just paying your respects on a Sunday or a Wednesday, that you're actually part of the family. You start to be willing to invest to actually see his church go forward, to see his will be done in the earth. For people that don't think that the church should be talking about politics. (laughs) When Jesus said to Peter... You've gotten this revelation about who I am. And on the rock of this revelation that you've gotten from my father, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You know what gates represent? They represent government and commerce. Because at the city gates is where government leaders would meet. At the city gates is where there would be a marketplace where goods were exchanged. Where do you think the devil operates? In the government, in the marketplace. And if you have a church that's not influencing the government or the marketplace, that's not the church that he was trying to build. The gates of Hades are not meant to come against the church. And there's a pushback. But it's a good one. It brings life. And if you take ownership for where you are, you're like, this is God's house. But because I'm his child, this is my house. I'm responsible for this house, for it advancing on earth. And it can seem like, man, I don't have the money to do that. I want to ask you, what's out of alignment? God's principles always work. And when there's something out of alignment, there's something wrong in your life. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm saying this because I've experienced my life being out of alignment. And when I trusted God at his word and repented, my life came back into alignment and it was blessed. I have a life that I look forward to today. I have a life that has purpose. I have a life that's filled with influence, with people that I love. I have two beautiful children. I live in a beautiful house. We have an amazing life here on earth. Our God's light shines in our lives, yep, right. and we're able to advance the kingdom through what we do. It's a purposeful life, yeah. but it happened when I came into alignment. Amen? Yeah. So, Can I get everybody to bow their head and close their eyes? If you are feeling far from God, feeling like your prayers are going unanswered. I just want to ask you tonight, what's out of alignment? Is there something that you've made an idol of in your life? Is there someone, something you need to dethrone? Are there places where you've cut corners, stepped out of the let it be done according to your word? I wanna give you a chance to come back to God right now and then we're going to do something really cool. So if there's anybody like that in here tonight, while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I want you to raise up your hand so I can pray with you on the count of three. one, two, three. Is there anybody like that in here? God bless you, 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 God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. If you're keeping your hand down because shame's got your tongue, raise it up. If you know that there's something out of alignment, raise your hand. This isn't about shaming you. This is about inviting you into a prayer. And God gives grace to the humble, amen. God bless you, 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 God bless you. God bless you, 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 God bless you. While every head is still bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to join me in a prayer. You can just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you want the best for my life. God, I confess that I've chosen my will over your will, and I repent. God, I know that you will forgive me when I lay my sins down at the foot of the cross. God, tonight, I pick up your grace. I make room on the throne of my life for you. God, please come into my life. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to live out your will for my life so that my light would shine and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a song that I love, and I just want to ask the production team to dim the lights for a second. There's a a prayer, and Jesus taught us how to pray with the Lord's prayer in the Bible. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In that prayer, every translation starts with our Father. It starts with an acknowledgement of the relationship. Jesus could have said, my God. He could have just said God, but he didn't. He said, our father. If you prayed that prayer tonight, that means that God is your father, that you are part of the family and that you have authority in relationship to command your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that comes after placing God on the throne and saying, hallowed be thy name. So I want you to join me right now as we sing how great is our God. And if you wanna kneel, if you wanna come down to the altar, I wanna invite you to really sing this out with all of your heart, exalt God, put him back on that throne of your life and let's see what he's gonna do. God sing with me how great is our God no sin of me how
0: great is our
1: God while we're in this atmosphere We've put God up on the throne. If there's something that you need from him, if you need a breakthrough in your health, in relationships, in your finances, in any area of your life, I just want you to start declaring his will in your life right now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you need to forgive somebody right now, just confess it in your heart. As we continue to sing, I'm going to invite our ministry team up to the front to pray and to impart, not to counsel, but just prayer and impartation.
0: Wow.